Amen, amen, amen. How many of you believe the presence of the Lord is in this place? Mm. Before we continue, I have to say this. As I was sitting there, I was reminded of the fact of my mom, who was a single parent, who raised my sister and I, and I can remember her dragging us to church. And I can remember not wanting to be there. But as I look back over my life, I'm thankful for the seeds that were planted in my heart. So for you moms out there, parents, doesn't matter what kind of facial expression your child may give to you, keep sowing those seeds. Because there came a point where I said, you know what, I can't rely on the faith of my parents. I've come to believe in Jesus for myself. And I know that he is God, and I know that he's alive, and I know that he lives on the inside of me. And I'm waiting for the day to be with him. Amen? So if your child went off to college, I know a lot of kids have already started school and some are starting this week. Trust in God. Trust the seeds that you have planted. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. No parent is perfect. But if you pray and ask the Lord for wisdom, he will give it to you. And he'll show you. Amen? Come on, give it up for the Lord in this place. Amen. Well, good morning, Faith Church. Good morning, good morning. So good to see all of you. I also want to welcome our online audience, everyone that's joining us. Thank you so much for being here. If I have not had the opportunity to meet you, my name's Brandon, my beautiful wife and I, Judy. We serve as the campus pastors at our Wilkett campus right outside of Waterbury, and we're honored to do it. But we're glad to be with you in this house. How many of you are glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Amen. Well, before I get started, I also want to honor... My pastors, our pastors, pastors Frank and Lisa Santoro, you may not know this, but Pastor Frank and Lisa oversee four campuses, a school that reaches kindergarten through 12th grade, and a daycare. That's a lot. That's a lot. So every now and then, they need some time to get away, to be alone with each other, to work on their pickleball games so they can become champions. And uh, to just enjoy their rest. But he wanted me to send his love to you guys. He will be here back in the house. He has a word in his heart that he wants to share with you. He'll be back next weekend. So we'll be glad to have him back. But can we give it up for our pastors, even in their absence? If you're watching, Pastor Frank, we love you. Thank you so much for this opportunity to share your word. Well, let's go on and uh, grab our Bibles. If you're at home, grab your Bibles. And if you are at home and you're able, why are you not here in church? We want to see you here. All right. But if you uh, are not able, join us, grab a Bible, and let's make our Bible confession, and then dive into God's Word. This is my Bible. It is my primary source of spiritual nourishment. I will read it every day and become all that God wants me to be. My mind will be renewed. My life will be transformed. From fully surrendered to Christ, therefore I will hide His Word in my heart so I can be all that God has destined me to be. Come on, somebody. I want you guys to travel with me to two passages of Scripture. First of all, we're going to deal with one passage in the book of 1 Kings, chapter 17, in the Old Testament. And then we're going to venture into the New Testament in the book of James, chapter 5. 
And hopefully through the Holy Spirit's help and anointing, I will be able to connect the two and encourage you before we leave this place. Also, happy Labor Day to everyone as well. Uh, God is good. First Kings chapter 17, beginning with verse 1. I'm reading from the New King James Version. If you want to follow along with me exactly, 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, and James chapter 5, verse 13. If you have it, say, I got it. If you need some more time, say, hold up. All right. Hopefully we're ready to go. 1 Kings chapter 17, and it reads, And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Galilee said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. The audacity. Verse 2. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook. And I have commanded. Somebody say commanded. What God commands, the enemy cannot reject. And I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. A bird to feed you. Mm. So he went... And according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan, verse 6, the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land because of his word. Then... The word of the Lord came to him saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have, what? Commanded a widow. It's pretty interesting who God is using to provide for this man of God. He's using a raven, and he's using a widow. Don't tell me that God cannot use unconventional means to bring a blessing into your hands. Watch this. A widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he had came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, He called to her and said, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. Man, you asking too much, Elijah. Come on now. You asking too much. I just came to get my sticks and and, and we're going to be about our business. Verse 12. So she said, as the Lord your God lives, your God, not my God yet, but as your God lives, I do not have bread. Only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar and see I have I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die and Elijah said to her do not fear go and do as you have said 
But here's another request. But make me a small cake, some strawberry cake. Make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. She and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elisha. Come on, somebody. Now turn with me to the book of James, and we're going to bring this all together. The book of James. In verse 13, he says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, somebody say effective, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah mm, was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three years. And six months, and he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. I want to speak to you today from the subject matter, a nature like ours. A nature, a man who had a nature like ours. Let us pray. Father, the flower fades, the grass withers, but your word shall stand forever. Use me as your servant. Father, I confess before all of these people, you know me. I can't do this without you. I need you. And I pray that you would minister to your people and that you would bring forth encouragement, conviction, that you would challenge us, that we would walk out of here different. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can be seated. Thank you so much for standing. As we dive into our text, if you know me, I always want to set kind of a foundation for these two scriptures that we read. Help us to understand the context. Give a little bit of background. So let's first talk about 1 Kings. The book of 1 Kings is very interesting. Many of you guys might remember, but the children of Israel in the book of Samuel were demanding to have a king. And the reason why they were demanding to have a king was not for the right reasons. They were demanding to have a king because they wanted to be like their other, the other nations that surrounded them. Because they had kings that went before them and fought their battles. But what the children of Israel didn't realize or what they failed to come into an understanding about was God was their king. And he was the one that was fighting their battles. But don't misunderstand me, God always intended for the Israelites to have a king, 
but in his timing. May I ask you, have you ever been in a place where you were, de- where you were desiring something so bad that God gave it to you, but it may not have been his very best. Maybe he had something better that was on the horizon, but because you kept bringing it before him, he gave it to you, but that's not really my best. How many of you have been there before? I can write a book on it. Like I've been there before where I wanted something only to find out later if I just would have waited, the Lord would have provided something better. But at any rate, they demanded a king and God gave them a king by the name of Saul. Without going into great detail, because I don't have time to unpack that fully, but Saul was disobedient to the Lord, and as a result, he was rejected. And the Bible says that God sought for himself a man after his own heart. Guess who this man was? David. This is very interesting that God said that he sought for himself a man after his own heart, because we all believe that God is all-knowing, right? That he can see the end from the beginning. That he sees the past, the present, and the future. So he must have known, looking at David's future, that he would have a man killed so that he could be with his wife to cover up a pregnancy. You guys do remember David did this, right? Even though he was a giant slayer, and that's what he's often known for, was slaying the big giant Goliath, he had some flaws. He had some proclivities towards certain behaviors. But that didn't exclude him from being used by God. Can I get a witness? Even though you make mistakes, even though God takes into account some of your inconsistencies, those mistakes that you made, as long as you bring those before the Lord when he convicts you and you confess them and you forsake them, God will shower his mercy on you. Are you with me? But anyway, he called David. And even though David made this mistakes, and it's real interesting because even as I read the Bible, after this incident happened with Uriah and Bathsheba, God always said that David's heart remained loyal to the Lord. And I'm trying to figure out, even in the midst of this mistake, God, how could you say that? But then with Solomon, who was uh, David's son, it was a little bit different. You guys remember Solomon was one of the wisest men in all of the earth. And yet God told him, do not go after foreign wives, for they will surely turn your heart away from me. Isn't it interesting that the wisest man in the earth still fell? Take heed. Take heed. Lest you think you're standing, you could also fall as well. We should always posture our heart with the attitude of humility, recognizing that everything that I have is you. I should never look down on somebody because that could be me apart from the grace of God. Are you with me? But David, as we come to first Kings, he was nearing the end of his life and he pronounced the blessing upon his son, Solomon. Solomon, unfortunately, though he erected a temple to build for the, for the Lord, which is something that he was um, recognized for or remembered for, building a temple of the Lord, he had his flaws as well. And as a result of his sin, chaos began to break out with the kingdom of Israel or with the people of Israel. So there were kings after this point that were raised up that were good kings, that were godly kings. Then there were kings that would come after that were wicked kings. And this is also a point in time or a point in history where the children of Israel were divided into two kingdoms. So that's kind of the background to first Kings. But there's one king 
that is notoriously noted as sinning against the Lord more wickedly than any other king, and that is King Ahab. He did more damage to turning the children of Israel away from the Lord to worship this false deity named Baal than any other king before him. But may I submit something to you? He was not alone in his wickedness. Some of you may remember this person, but his wife, her name was Jezebel. How many of you have heard of Jezebel? Jezebel was a very wicked woman. And Ahab was very indecisive. And in his indecisiveness, his wife led him to sin against the Lord. And this is where we have to be very careful into who we marry because the Bible says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. When you yoke yourself to somebody who doesn't know the Lord, there will inevitably be conflict that will arise in that marriage because you're trying to live for God and they are not. Be careful who it is that you marry or enter into a relationship with. But Elijah, as God always does, he raises up a person that will go before him to restore righteousness. And it's very interesting because Baal was known for controlling the weather. So this was an all-out assault against Baal and all of his prophets that you are not God, that there is one living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the Lord, and I'm going to prove it to you. So when Elijah came and spoke that there would be no rain, that there would be no dew, he was giving a charge, and I'm putting y'all on notice, there's only one God. Some of you might remember also in First um, Kings chapter 18, not only did Elijah stop or pray for the rain to stop for three years and six months, which is what we read in James, but the Bible also says that he called for a meeting on Mount Carmel. He told, I want all the prophets of Baal to come to this mountain, and I want you to bring your sacrifice, a bull, and I want you to lay it on your altar, and I want you to call out to your God and see if he will answer you. We all know the story. The Bible says that they called out to their God, they worshiped, they started cutting themselves, and their God never answered them. But then it was Elijah's turn. He brought the bull, he restored the altar that was broken down, and he asked his servants to pour water onto the altar three times so that it was soaked with water. And when Elijah called upon the God of the universe, he came down and consumed the fire, and right then and there, God proved that he was the Lord and proved that Elijah was his prophet. Come on, somebody. Are you with me? But it's very interesting as we read the book of James, because James is talking to us about prayer, and this is where I really want to park. I wanted to kind of lay a foundation so that you understood the background behind First Kings, but I want to really pay particular attention to the book of James, because the focus is on prayer. Now, James says that Elijah was a man who had a nature like ours. The first point that I want to make is Elijah had a nature like ours and that he was human just like we are. When I look this up in the original language, it means that he had similar affections. He had similar desires to us. 
Sometimes we can look back on what Elijah prayed for and even in the story that I just shared with you about the sacrifice and think to ourselves, that's Elijah. There's no way that I could perform the miracles or do the things that Elijah did now in this life. But nothing could be further from the truth. The devil is a liar. You actually have something better than what Elijah had. Can I explain it to you? What you have better is you have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you, whereas Elijah only had the Spirit to come upon him. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit, which is a part of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit would come upon a person. But the Holy Spirit could also leave a person as well. May I submit to you that is not the case in the New Testament. The Bible teaches us in the book of Ephesians chapter 1, Paul speaking to the church at Ephesus, he says, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you were what? You were sealed with the Holy Spirit. And my Bible teaches that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He that has begun this work in you shall complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Am I in the right place? Is your faith being stretched? So watch this. The reason why we have it better, because we are under a different covenant, a better covenant. He was not even living. He was living under an old covenant, but under this new dispensation of grace, we have the spirit living on the inside of us. And not only that, Jesus has already gone to the cross. He has already died. He has already risen. So everything that Jesus set out to accomplish for my freedom is mine. I just need to receive it. Are you with me? So let's look at the faith of Elijah. First of all, when he made this declaration, he was putting his faith out there. I was speaking to two Mormons earlier this week, a long story how that came about, but we were having a conversation about what they believe and about what Christianity, and may I submit that these two are very different. They are not the same. Church of Latter-day Saints and Christianity, they are not the same. But the one thing that I really felt convicted about, and I almost like something rose up on the inside of me, is this. I know that when I die, and if you die as a born-again believer, that you will be in the presence of Jesus. There is no waiting place. There is no uh, a place where Jesus is not present. Like I will be in the presence of Jesus. To be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That's the confidence that we have. And if you have loved ones that have died in Christ, they are presently in the very presence of God, spirit and soul in heaven, awaiting the rapture when their bodies will be connected with their soul and spirit. Are you with me? That's the confidence and that's the hope that we have. But what's interesting as I look at this text and why he had a nature that was like ours, when Elijah made this declaration, when you really step out in faith, you put all of your marbles in one, in one basket. You know how people always say, particularly when it comes to investments, you should diversify your portfolio. You shouldn't put all of your investments in one place, but they should be diversified. I'm sorry, when it comes to the kingdom of God, I don't have a fallback plan. I have put everything into the Lord. My whole life has been dedicated. Lord, I want to serve you the rest of my life. I don't know anything else different. And if you were to not come through for me, I don't know what I would do. But he has not failed me yet. And neither will he fail you. But you have to come to a place where you will look like a fool by stepping out in some of the things that you're stepping out about. 
And that's exactly what Elijah did. He called forth that there would be no rain because that's what the Lord led him to do. But oftentimes, in a moment of faith, you can speak something not realizing that you're going to be tested by the word that you put out there. Every time I preach, and I think I shared this the last time, my incident at Costco, um, but every time I preach, either before I preach or after I preach, I'm always tested by the word that I share with you. It's almost like I'm being tested. Do you believe what it is that you're preaching? And I do believe his word is true. So when Elijah made this declaration that there would be no rain in the land, he was also going to suffer or supposedly suffer the consequences of making that declaration. But how many of you know when you declare something in God's name, you're not going to suffer consequences. God is going to provide for you in the name of Jesus. So when he made this declaration, and what's interesting, when he made this declaration, God said, I'm going to provide for you, and the way that I am going to do it is by a bird. You guys do know what birds are, right? First of all, what bird out there is going to deliver food and not eat the food? But this raven was commanded by God to come and feed him in the wilderness in the morning and in the evening. Brought bread and meat. Hopefully we didn't just gloss over that and you didn't have time to meditate on that. Do you realize he was being provided for by a bird? And this is interesting because Jesus says in the New Testament to us, to New Testament believers, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about how you shall be clothed or what you shall put on or what you shall wear. For after all these things, the Gentiles, those without a covenant, seek after. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. In other words, put my agenda first and I'll take care of you. It is not your, it should not be your desire or will to try to figure out how God is going to provide, but to just know he's going to provide. God is calling us to be childlike, not childish. Childlike in the sense that, you know what, I'm trusting, I'm dependent. I I don't even know where it's coming from, but God, you're going to make a way. For those of you that have kids, it's not like your kids wonder or are concerned about where my next meal is coming from. Are the lights going to be turned off? Is this, I mean, are we going to be put out of our house? They don't have a a concern in the world, hence why we have to tell them money doesn't grow on trees. They don't have a concern because they're not thinking about it. But understand me, people of God, God wants you to have that same mindset. Stop worrying, stop fretting, stop staying up late at night, concerned about how God is going to provide. That job is not your source. It is just a channel of blessing that God can use to bring into your hands. But that job is not your source. God is your source. So whether I get laid off, whether the stock market market is favorable or not favorable, my economy isn't dictated by this world. It's dictated by God. And he is my provider. As I put him first, Malachi 3 says, he will open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessing that I will not have room enough to receive it. He will provide and he will take care of you. Even before I stepped into the role of being a pastor, something that my wife and I learned a long time ago is you can't afford not to tithe. 
When you put God first, he will take care of you. He will provide for you. I can remember, I can remember when we had our first child and we decided for my wife to stay at home so that she could be there to raise our first child. It did not make sense, people. It did not compute on paper that we were going to be able to make it. But I had a word from God. We had a peace in our spirit, and we stepped out in faith. Lo and behold, somebody started bringing envelopes in our mailbox. To this day, I don't know who it was. We would go to our mailbox, open up the door, and inside would be an envelope. And it would say, to the Dumas family, God bless you guys, $500 here, $300 there, $100 there. God always provided for us. And this was before I was a pastor. Almost like God was like wanting to know the extent of my heart and of my faith. I know God will provide. And he will take care of you as well. But he says, Jesus says, if I take care of the lilies, you know what a lily is, right? If I take care of the lilies who are here today, gone tomorrow, shall I not take care of you? If I take care of the birds who neither sow nor reap nor gather into the barns, shall I not take care of you? I want you to make a decision today, draw a line in the sand. I will not worry about finances anymore. I'm going to trust God, I'm going to put him first, and I'm going to believe that he's going to provide for me in the name of Jesus. He will provide. And Elijah had that faith, and he was under an old covenant. So how incumbent is it on us in this new covenant to go greater in our faith because of what has been given to us through the Holy Spirit living on the inside? Am I talking to somebody? But not only that, he was called to go to a widow's house. Now, this was the Old Testament. For a widow's husband to pass away was very catastrophic. The Bible records that oftentimes widows, in their attempts to try to provide for themselves, would sometimes enter into prostitution. Because the opportunities were not as vast as they are now for women. And so this woman was desperate. We don't know the age of her son. But I would assume that he was very young because he would have been the heir or the person to take over the family business, but he must have been too young. And as a result of the drought, they were suffering. Have you ever been in a place where you are experiencing a drought and you think it's because you've done something wrong? You think it's because you've done something wrong. We think the discipline of God is always erected or brought about in our lives as a result of we've done, because we've done something wrong. But even as a athlete disciplines their body to compete at the highest level, the discipline of God is to take you to the next place. From faith to faith and from glory to glory. Are you with me? Are you tracking with me? Watch this. So the Bible says that he was commanded or that this widow would be commanded to provide for him. So he goes to this widow's house and he literally makes three requests. We read it, all these requests. And she had to step out in faith with what she had. As long as her hands were closed and they weren't open, nothing would change in her situation. Oftentimes, God is always going to ask us, what is it that you have in your hand? What is it that I have given you that you are willing to release, that you are willing to let go of, and trust me that I will provide for you? So because of this woman's little faith, 
to be able to give up what she had, she was provided for during this drought, even though the drought was not a result of something that she did wrong in her life. It was just the result of God wanting to act on her behalf. Are you with me? You guys remember when the disciples came across a man that was born blind in the Gospels? And his disciples asked, was this person born, born blind because they sinned or because they, their parents sinned? And Jesus said, no. This person was born blind so that the works of God could be displayed in them. Are you with me? So it's not a result of something that she did wrong that she was going through this famine. It was so that God could use her, that God could increase her faith and bless her. Are you with me? Elijah, I'm sure that he had to buffet his flesh. I'm sure that he had to bring his body into subjection. I'm sure that there were times that he had doubt. He was human, just like we are, the same nature. But one thing that caused Elijah to be set apart is this. He had a relationship with his God. He had a relationship. Not just the head knowledge, not just the man upstairs, but this is somebody that I know. I have a relationship with him. And because I have a relationship with him, and because he has fidelity with his word, and I'm bringing his word back to him, I know that he will never fail me. See, when you go before the Lord in prayer, you got to go before the Lord in prayer with the word. Because God responds to his word. So when, if I'm in need of healing, I go before the Lord and I say, Lord, I thank you that you have already provided my healing on the cross. You said in your word that healing is the children's bread. You said in your word that you were manifested, that you might destroy the works of the devil. And I know that sickness is of the devil. So in the name of Jesus, I receive your healing right now in the name of Jesus. I don't care if I feel it. I don't care if anything changes in the natural. I receive it. Lord, you said it. You said in your word. David said, I once was young and now I'm old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging for bread. I am of the seed of Abraham as well through my union with Christ. So I am not going to be dismayed by these financial issues that are coming up in my life. God, you will provide. This is how you got to come to the Lord in prayer. God, I know that you will provide wisdom. You said in your word in James chapter one, verse five, if any man lacks wisdom to ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, God, I need wisdom with these kids. Praise the Lord. I need wisdom, Lord. Do you want me to take this job? Do you want me to move across state to accept this opportunity? Lord, do you want me to enter into this relationship with this person? Is this the right person for me? God, reveal to me. Lord, show me your wisdom. Help me not to make the wrong decision. Lord, I just was diagnosed with cancer. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus for your healing, number one. But number two, give me wisdom in what treatments I should take. Is this a treatment that you want me to take? Is this the doctor that you want me to be aligned with? Is this the hospital? Lord, and you may say to yourself, well, these are the only options that I have. Not in God's economy. Because God can provide. He can take care of you. Lord, I'm thinking about putting my child in a private school because I don't agree with what's going on in the public school, but I can't afford it. Wait a minute. Who is the God that you serve? Can God not provide? Can he not take care of you? If there is a will, there is a way. But even if you choose to leave your child in the public school, also know that God is able to protect them. And he will give you wisdom in whatever your situation is. What is the point? Go before the Lord based on his word. 
and trust his word to be fulfilled in your life. He was human just like we are, but he had a relationship with God and he trusted God's word and he spoke it. One thing that I keep telling my kids, and I know that we're not the only family where there's sibling conflict that goes on. A lack of sharing, name calling. You know, the Bible says foolishness is bound up in a child, but the rod of correction will drive it out. Come on, somebody. I was spanked within reason by my mom, and I'm standing here today as a living witness. It did me a lot of good. All right? There, like, there were timeouts, but it was timeout to get the belt. All right? Um, but I understand everyone's situation is different, so, so don't misunderstand me. You have to go with the wisdom that the Lord gives you, all right? But we ask God for wisdom, and we have to trust him. But even when it comes to this conflict, one of the things that I tell my children, and it's something that, man, I say this till I'm blue in the face, life and death is in the power of your tongue. Don't speak that over yourself. These are my allergies. Well, this, like my asthma, first of all, don't take ownership of that. Whoever said that that was yours, that's not your allergies. That's not your sickness that you have to lay claim to. I'm not denying. I'm not asking you to be naive and deny what's there, but keep on projecting on God. Keep giving it over to God and realizing that he's able. Life and death is in the power of your tongue. People, life and death is in the power of your tongue. Just think about that for just a second. If you don't hear even those watching online, life and death is in the power of your tongue. Do not allow your five senses to dictate your speech. Do not allow your five senses to dictate your speech. Allow your sixth sense, the Holy Spirit, to drive your faith. Lord, I'm not going by what I see. I'm not going by what I feel. I'm not going by my checking account. I'm not going by what's on this projector screen of what's going on in my body. Lord, I know it's there, but I trust you. You are my healer. You are my physician. You are my provider. Even even though my kids may be acting a fool and they're not serving you, God, I declare that they will serve you. I declare that you will do whatever means necessary to bring them to their knees to trust you and to walk in your ways. Life and death is in the power of your tongue. The second point that I want to make is this. Elijah had a nature like ours and that he was challenged to walk by faith. He was challenged to walk by faith. You know that whole beautiful story that I told you about the ravens feeding Elijah in the morning, in the evening. Then he goes to the widow's house and the jar of oil doesn't run dry and they're, pro- and they're provided for until the rain comes back. There's a situation that happens where the child in the house dies. After Elijah arrives, after all of this is going on, the child in the house becomes ill and dies. And the woman comes to Elijah and calls him a man of God. How could you allow this to happen? If there's one thing that I know to be true, Whenever somebody gives their life to the Lord, God will initially spoil you in the sense that you'll go to the Bible. It'll come off of the pages. He'll, he'll spoil you with his presence. But then there will come a time that he wants you to get off of milk and start eating solid food. 
So he's commissioning you to come after him, to keep coming. Even though you may not necessarily feel him, even though it may seem like he's a little bit of distance because of the trials that have come up in your life. Let me say this. The teacher is silent when the test is being taken. As you mature in God, he speaks less. As you mature in God, he speaks less and your need for him to speak is not necessarily needed because you have his word. And when I say speak, oftentimes we're looking for God to speak to us audibly. May I submit to you in all transparency, I have never heard God speak to me audibly. He has always spoken to me in the quietness of my spirit when I first got saved, but he normally always speaks to me through his word. Always speaks to me through his word. I'm not putting God in a box. I'm not saying that he can't speak through nature. I'm not saying that he can't speak through other people, that he can't speak through unlikely people. But how God chooses to speak to you, will you be content in that and trust him? Whatever is speaking to you, it will never contradict the word of God. If it contradicts the word of God, it's not God. Because God will never contradict his word. So there are voices that you may hear. Even as you're going about your day, but you need to always take those voices through the filtration process of God's word. Because God's word is our ultimate authority. Even when somebody's prophesying over you or they're speaking something over your life, you got to be careful because you don't need to receive everything that people are dishing out over your life. I, I appreciate the advice. I appreciate what you're saying, but that's not what God has spoken over me. And if somebody speaks something that's foreign to you, test it by the word of God, put it on the shelf until God reveals that that is what he has for you. And it's more of a confirmation than it is a first glance. Is this helping somebody? But this child was dead. And the Bible says that Elijah took the child up to the upper room, which is where he was staying, and he prostrated himself over the child And he basically asked a question of why, but it kind of was mingled with, Lord, heal this child. So I could see even in his prayer, there was a little bit of uncertainty, but there was yet still a seed of faith that was being deposited. Have you ever been there before? Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe that you're able. I've read your word. I've seen you do these miracles, but I would be lying to you if there isn't that voice of doubt that still comes. But watch this. Oh, just track with me here. Please just track with me. Do you guys remember? And I'm going to deviate for just a second and I'll bring it right back. Just track with me. Do you guys remember the three Hebrew boys? that would not bow down to Nebuchadnezzar and worship the statue that he had erected, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's in the Old Testament. They said, we know, because for not bowing down to this statue, they were going to be cast into a fire. Yes, you heard me correctly. Cast into a fire. Barbecued, all right? In the fire. They said, we know that our God will deliver us. We know this. But even if he does not, we will still not bow down to you. Wait a minute. Is this a contradiction? 
We know that our God will deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow down to you. I don't see it as a contradiction. I see it as two statements of faith. We will, we know that our God is able and he will deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow down to you. And keep in mind, they didn't have the full revelation of what we have now in the New Testament. So even as they prayed that prayer, they didn't have Jesus already coming, dying on the cross, and rising from the grave. This is why even when David prayed in the Old Testament, Lord, please don't take your Holy Spirit away from me when he was repenting of his sin. That's not a prayer for us in the New Testament. Because the Holy Spirit is not going anywhere. I'm sealed with the Holy Spirit. Do you understand the difference here? The Old Testament was a foreshadowing of what was to come in the New Testament. But now that I'm under this new dispensation of grace, I should be operating at a different level of faith. Are you with me? Oh, come on, somebody. I feel like preaching this thing. So he was called to walk by faith. You're called to walk by faith. And I'm proud to report as he prayed over that child three times that the child revived and came back to life. And he came down from the upper room and gave the child to his mother. Last point, and then I'll let you guys go. And point three, Elijah had a nature like ours and that he learned to be fervent in prayer. Fervent in prayer. Fervent in prayer. I took the liberty to look up the definition of fervent. And I was kind of surprised by the definition that I found. Fervent is defined as having or displaying a passionate intensity. Fervent is defined as having or displaying a passionate intensity. Maybe you were like me. When I read that scripture, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman avails much, I thought on first glance that it was talking about longevity of prayer. I thought the more often that you pray, the fervency is praying for something often. But as I did a study on this, it was the intensity of the prayer that you were praying in the moment. Come on, somebody. Because if I'm coming back to him and I'm praying about the same thing twice, did he not hear me the first time? Is God's ear heavy that he cannot hear, nor his hand short that he cannot save? No. Our God is very near to us. He hears us. Even when we don't pray, In Romans 8, it says, even when we don't know what to pray for as we ought, the Holy Spirit within us makes groanings that cannot be uttered. So if God can hear me even when I'm not saying anything, how much more when I do say something? So when I pray, when I come to him the first time, the Bible says you have not because you ask not. So I come before him in prayer and I ask him. If I'm still waiting on the fulfillment of what I asked for, if I'm coming back a second time, a third time, a fourth time, still waiting, I'm not coming asking, I'm coming thanking. Because I know that you have already sent the answer. I know that you have already heard me, so I thank you in advance and I praise you as if it is already done because you are good. But this is what disrupts our faith. When we are not right with God. 
It says the effectual fervent prayer of a what? Righteous. Let me ask you something, saints of God. Is righteousness predicated on your behavior? Is holiness solely about your behavior or is it a position? You are, as a born-again believer in Christ, the Bible says you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. The Bible says you are the head and not the tail. The Bible says you are above and not below. The Bible says that he knows the hairs that are on your head. He's well acquainted with all of your griefs, all of your struggles. May I submit to you, child of God, he knew you before the foundation of the world. So it doesn't even matter how you came into this world, whether it was through legitimate means or not legitimate means, you are still precious to God because he crafted you when you were in your mother's womb. And your life is not an accident. But my righteousness is given to me based on my belief in Jesus. John chapter 1 verse 12 says, To as many as received him, who? Jesus. He gave the right to become children of God. I've said this before. We are not all of God's children. We are all of God's creation. But the rights and the privileges that come with being a child are only given to those who give their life to Jesus. And when you give your life to Jesus, everything that Jesus has, you have as well. Is that not what a joint heir means? If I'm a joint heir with him, everything that he has inherited, I have inherited as well. But what can cloud receiving the inheritance is sin. Is sin. Whenever we fall short or whenever we sin, unconfessed sin, our confidence is lost. The Bible says in the Beatitudes, Jesus says, the pure in heart will what? They shall see God. What will separate us from God? It's not that God has left, that he's moved. God is constant. He's still in the same place. But when we sin, we distance ourselves from God. But Proverbs 28, 13 says, Whoever covers his sins shall not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. So when I gave my life to Jesus, I was justified. I was declared righteous, not based on anything that I did or will do. It was based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. So now everything that I do is not to earn my salvation, but everything that I do or like everything that I do is in appreciation for the salvation I've already received. That's why the Bible says faith without works is. So if I believe in God. And I trust him and I'm thankful for all that he's done in my life. Lord, I love you. I want to live for you. I know that this is displeasing to you and I don't want to do it. Not because necessarily your Bible says so, even though that's true. But more importantly, I love you. I know that when you took that slap in the face, you were thinking of me. I know when that crown of thorns was placed upon your head, you were thinking of me. I know every time that you took a whip across your back and the flesh was ripped off of your body, you were thinking of me. And of all of that, you still went to to the cross. That's why I want to live for you. 
That's why I want to walk in purity. That's why I want to tell my wife that I'm sorry when we're in a conflict. That's why I want to make amends. That's why I do the things that I do because I love you. Not because I have to, but because I get to. I love you. Are you with me? So when you have a confidence, let's be real in this place. Oftentimes when we make a mistake, and I've seen this as a pastor over the years, people distance themselves from God. They distance themselves from the people of God. They stop coming to church. They stop praying. They stop getting into the word of God. How many of you have been there before? I have. But I got to go back to God's word. God's word says a just man, a righteous man may fall seven times, but he rises back up again. The reason why he rises back up again, because he realizes that his righteousness is not based on him, but his righteousness is based on the finished work of Jesus. Whatever it is that you're believing God for, Elijah had the same nature as you. And he prayed for it not to rain for three years and six months, and it did not rain. And the same nature that he had is the same nature that you had. No more excuses. No more excuses. Greater is he that lives in me. Stand with me here in this place. What is it that you're believing God for? Something that Pastor Rich, um, our Spanish ministry pastor, shared with us here recently is God has been doing some great things in the Spanish ministry. And he's he's been led to pray over people and pray for healing and for deliverance. But there's one thing that he told his people. When you come before this altar to receive prayer, Don't come begging. Don't come pleading. If he is your father and you are his son or his daughter, what is it that you want? What is it that you want? If God needs to bring correction, he will. He's a good father. I desire to bless my kids all the time. I love them with all my heart as well as my wife. I desire to bless them with things that they enjoy, things that they like. What makes me think as an imperfect father with all my flaws that my heavenly father is any different? But he knows what can take you away from him. He knows what can become a hindrance in his life. One of the things that causes me to want to bless my kids is when I sense a heart of gratefulness, when I sense a heart of just appreciation When I get a sense that there's some selfishness and there's a sense of not being appreciative or thankful, sometimes I feel like I need to pull back a little bit. But when they, to see the laughter, the joy on their face as a father, there's nothing like it. I want to spend time with them. If they ever got to a place where like, oh, dad, we just want you to buy this. We just want you to do this, but we don't want to spend any time with you that would break my heart how often have we done that to God 
we come to him and all of us, I've been there. We come to him with our request. Lord, before I come to you with any request, before I lay down anything at your altar, I just want to say I love you. I just want to say I'm so thankful. You saving my life was the best thing that has ever happened to me. Anything on top of that is a bonus. Even if you don't do another thing in my life, you saving me and creating in me a clean heart, giving me a new start, that was the best thing that ever could have happened to me. Do you feel that way, people of God? I want to ask, before we close, speaking of the power of prayer, the power of salvation, is there somebody here you've never given your heart to the Lord Jesus and you want to make him the Lord and Savior of your life? You recognize that you're a sinner. You know that you have fallen short of his righteous standard, which is the Ten Commandments. And you're willing and ready. You feel the nudge, the pull from the Holy Spirit. You can't deny it. You can't shake it off any longer. I'm ready to surrender. I need Jesus. I want to enter into sonship, into daughtership with him. If that's you, raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Anyone here? You want to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. Anyone here? Hey, did somebody raise their hand that I missed? Okay. All right. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for that hand. Thank you for that. I see you. I see you. Yes. Thank you for that hand. Thank you for that hand. Come on. Anyone watching us online, if you're ready to commit your heart to the Lord, everyone repeat this prayer after me. Say, Jesus, I ask you to come into my life and become my Lord and my Savior. I confess that I am a sinner in need of your grace. I believe, Jesus, that you came to this earth, that you took my place on the cross, that you died and that you rose again. I'm making a decision today to surrender my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give it up for the Lord in this place.